I'm so excited this morning to introduce you to a series that we're heading into that is called The Prodigal Church. And as we focus in on what it means for us to be the church that God has called for us to be, I'm going to be honest, this is going to get a little personal for us. As we dive through what it looks like to study these powerful books that remind us that God has provided for us abundantly as his people. I already mentioned the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a gift to us. And this morning we're going to see through the words of the Apostle Paul, the gift that God has provided for us, the lavish gifts that he's given us. But what we're going to also see as we study this is that often, like the prodigal son, the story that's recorded, the the powerful message that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us, that as God's church, we often find ourselves settling for what's second best. That he's provided us a seat at the banquet that he wants us to understand the kind of unity that he's designed his church for. And today we're going to look at that. We're going to see that through the cross, you and I can anticipate a beautiful design, his creation for intimacy and unity within his church. But we're also going to recognize that the early church that's recorded in 1 Corinthians was a church that was blessed beyond measure. Things were happening around them. There were so many exciting things happening, and yet they failed to utilize the gifts that God had provided for him for his glory. So they traded the banquet table for the slop to the pigs. And today, as we study this, as we launch into this series, I just want to encourage you as we look at these powerful verses at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think we're going to see ourselves in this. We're going to see God's church in this, and we're going to see both the gift that he's provided for us, but also the challenge it is for us to understand the fullness of what he's given us. He has provided for us what we need. I love the the experience I had when I was just a teenager. I decided that I was going to start working on my my car myself, and I had a little Chevy Nova. Don't be deceived. This wasn't like the cool Chevy Nova. This was the one where uh, it's just a tiny little car. It was like a glorified golf cart, right? And uh, I had all the tools that I love. I changed radiator and brakes and, and all these things, and I ran into this one challenge. I could not figure it out. I had to phone a friend to come in, and I had tried everything. I had tried to uh, use WD-40. I had tried to um, get in there and add a bar to the, the, the thing to get this thing off. And it was, I used heat and just everything I could find to figure this out. And my friend came over and, and he looked for about two seconds and he said, Sean, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> you're, you're tightening it. You're not loosening it. And, and today, as we look together at what God had provided for the early church, he had provided for them incredible gifts. He had provided them the opportunity for unity. And we're going to see this theme woven through the book of 1 Corinthians in particular, that he'd given them what they need. They just didn't utilize it. And this, this past week, I, I have mentioned that I am enjoying rowing. My, my daughter uh, and I, my daughters and I are going out on this tandem kayak that my wife gave me for my birthday. You guys might have read this article. It's kind of fun that uh, there was a USA Today article that said that the flats area or the Cuyahoga, um, the Cuyahoga River downtown is, was ranked as the number one urban kayaking place in the country, in North America. And so we went out, checked it out. We're having just a blast outside, um, rowing together. But don't get me wrong, we're not like professionals here. We're just kind of moving along. And uh, beside us, we watched a professional group of rowers get their, put their... their um, their, uh, their, the team put this beautiful 
Um, um, boy, I can't even remember anything this morning. <laughs> I have it written down, so that's good. They put their tandem kayak in the water, and it was called, a, it was a precision sweep uh, rowing team. And so what that meant, this is so cool. I mean, I was beside myself excited to see them in action. Because what, what it meant was that they would sit down at their oars. And as, as sweepers, they are going to have their own seat with a paddle. And they're going to be rowing. And they're going to be rowing in a way where they can't see where they're headed. But the, the coxswain, the person who's in the back that's facing forward is able to see exactly where they're going to go. And so, so Capri, as we're rowing together and like the, the booze cruise is kind of wandering beside us and there's all these, what, what we're going to see is them by, by discussing where they're headed, the, the coxswain described the fact that they're going to, where they're going to head and there's going to be this barge that's coming later on and described what's heading in front of them. And, and, and then when they finally set out, they just cut through that river like a hot butter uh, knife through butter. It was just incredible to watch. And, and part of it is that they're just, they're just rowing together in this process. But, but what it meant for them is what I believe it means for you and I as people that are a part of God's church is that it meant for them that they had to trust that person who's giving them the direction where they're headed. And so for you and I, when it comes to our understanding of unity that God has designed for his church to experience, the unity that he's intended for us to have, that his expectation is that we find that unity through our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who's allowing us to go forward. And sometimes it sure feels like we're going backwards, doesn't it? Sometimes it sure feels like we don't know what the next step is. And today, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to see God's provision for us for sustainable unity in a divided world. When we think about what God has provided for us, I believe that the God of the universe has given us something more, that he's intended for us to experience the kind of unity that he's going to describe in these verses, and he's going to say, church in Corinth, you can not only be in the world, but you can thrive in the midst of a world that doesn't always carry the same values. But the dangerous thing that happens that we see in the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that that church started to get distracted by the things that were around them, and they believed that they could live just like the world, allow the, the values and the decisions that the culture makes around them to be their values, and ultimately Paul rebukes them in this letter, and he challenges them to experience the kind of unity that they can have through the leadership and understanding of unity through the blood of Christ. Church, he has more for us. And today, when we think of the blessing of being his church in this community, it goes beyond so much more than just us having a nice building or, or welcoming our community in, but it, it allows us to understand what God has asked us to do to help to represent the love of Christ to a community around us that desperately needs us. This unity will provide for us what it means for us to function as the church that God has called us to be. We use this word in church a lot. It's kind of a churchy word, but it's the word disciple. And I want to remind you this morning that, that a disciple is a person that's just a follower. They, they follow another person. And the first point this morning that's going to flow out of God's word is who you follow will determine where you will end up. 
who you are following will determine where you're going to end up and what Paul's going to challenge us in these first verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is that we ought to be people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. We don't know a ton about Sosthenes, although it's possible that this is the same man that was a leader in the Jewish church or in the Jewish synagogue before, and now he's come to Christ and and is a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul for the sake of the gospel. Verse 2, it says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So Paul knew this, this congregation well. He'd spent about 18 months with them. And in that process, he got to know them. He, he loved them. He engaged with them. He shared the gospel with them. And, and, and so now what we get this, this rest of the story is he's experienced the blessing of being with these individuals, unlike some other epistles that were written where he had not experienced firsthand the church. He's writing to people like you and I that he knows And as he writes these words, he encourages them. He says, you guys have been given so much. And I just love his love for this church that flows over in his words. He says this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's writing to believers who've heard the truth of the gospel. And you know what's great is you and I get a shout out here that he talks about the church universal and the recognition that there's believers, some of which were a part of that community that were around them, but ultimately every believer who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're mentioned here that this message that Paul gave to the church in Corinth is going to apply to us today. In Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord, both both their Lord and ours. And then he just encourages them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and shalom to you. Maybe you experience the blessing of what it means to understand your salvation. Paul says this in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. These two words in in this first term speech is the word we know of as logos. The second is all knowledge, gnosis. These two words were very important in that culture and in that day. Knowledge and truth. Understanding and love. What it means are knowledge and speech. And an ability to communicate and also to understand truth. This is, this is the question of the day. How do we understand truth? And here Paul is blessing them and encouraging them that you have the answers. Verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul does here is he says to them, you have received incredible gifts from God. I've seen it firsthand. You've been blessed abundantly. But it's interesting when you look at this, he does not bless them or encourage them for how they've received them. So they've been given, they haven't necessarily been received. And what we're going to see through the next chapters in the in the book of 1 Corinthians is that we're going to see that there are many ways that they fail to receive the ability to have Christ be the great unifier in the church. In fact, 
One of them that they're going to allow to creep in is something that we have the temptation to do in our context every day. And that is that people within the church chose to take Christ out of the leadership position in their life and replace him with another voice, another messenger, another individual. And in that process, what they did was to put their very risk and in some ways their very hope at risk of, un, of being able to, to live in the, the blessed gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and his provision for them. And so they're substituting something. They've been given the blessing of the gospel of Christ, but instead what they're going to choose to do is to lean on a messenger that is a lesser messenger. So Paul praises them for their gifts, but not their obedience. They've been given the tools. They just were choosing not to access them. It says this in verse eight, the Lord will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind. What's beautiful about this description is he's talking about what it means to be in community, what it means to fellowship together, what it means to understand what it means to have Christ be the leader that's directing us as a church family moving forward. It says he'll sustain us, that he provides for us in anticipation of the day of our Lord. This is a nuanced statement, but it's important for us to understand that this description is for believers when he talks about the day of our Lord, the day that we can anticipate our graduation into moving beyond the struggles of this life and being able to anticipate God saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that incredible to think about that day? Isn't it encouraging to think about his provision? He said earlier this statement, he said, to those who have been sanctified. That's an interesting phrase. This, this book is dripping with theological wisdom. And when we talk about sanctification, it means set apart for a purpose, on purpose for a purpose. It's been set, uh, set apart. And here as something that's been sanctified, what we recognize is as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a past sanctification that comes when we accept Christ as our Lord that we're clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. The second reality of sanctification is there's a present reality of this, that we're, we're going through the process of Christ working in our hearts to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we are progressively sanctified through the wrestling with sin. And I will tell you this, as I anticipate heaven, so as I look forward to heaven, I look forward to a lot of things about heaven but the third part of sanctification that I get excited about is that I will not wrestle any longer with sin. That there is victory over sin. The full sanctification of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ for eternity means that we don't have to battle with getting this stuff right anymore. But instead, it's been done. We're fully sanctified. So past, present, future. And he talks about this in such a way that we experience in that process the kind of unity as an individual group of believers trying to row together through the experiences of life that cuts against some of the values of the culture. But unfortunately, what was happening in the church in Corinth is that they found themselves choosing to set aside this precious gift that God had given them, the kind of unity that he had intended for them to have. And instead, what, he, what they were doing was that they were compromising that unity for something far lesser than. 
If you get this right, church, I want you to see these promises that flow out of the unity that can come from us understanding what Christ provides for us. Paul teaches us this. In verse 3, he says, by following Christ, we can share in the shalom of God together. We can experience peace together. By following Christ, we can share the message of hope together. That's a beautiful truth. By following Christ, we can share our stories together. And see this in verse 6. And I, I love this last week, Allie and I had dinner with some friends of ours from seminary. And, and this was 20 years ago that we had, had gone through an exercise together where we just shared our life stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of our lives. And, and we just realized as we spent this time together with, with them this week that that we feel more connected to them than, than some, some others that we've known for a long, longer time. But because we shared our story together and our love for Christ together, it was something that wove us together. Have you noticed even as you travel or as you meet new people that you can meet a believer in Christ and feel more in common with them than even sometimes your own family, right? Or even sometimes people who you spend your day in and day out. Because, because of this unity that comes from us understanding his story as it's poured through our life experience, right? I love that definition of preaching, that it's truth poured through personality. And sometimes it's just his story played out in front of us. And I love the fact that our stories can overlap together. So we see this in verse six. In verse seven, we see that by following Christ, we can share his gifts together. Verse eight, by following Christ, we can anticipate our justification that he is working to restore us to the perfection that he intended for us. Verse 8, by following Christ, we can anticipate his blessed return together. So we look forward to the day of our Lord, his return to restore his creation and to restore us to the perfection he's designed for us. You know, these blessings um, are designed for us to be unified together in the community that God's given us. This is, this is what it means for us to be a church family. It doesn't mean as a church family that we always are perfect. It doesn't mean as a church family that we always understand each other. But what it means is when Christ is the one that's, that's in the, the boat that's directing us and knows which direction that we're headed, and when we listen to him, it means that we can go through the struggles and experiences of life together in such a way that we follow his lead in our lives. But, but I want to share with you a concern that shows up here. And Paul's, Paul's going to share us, with us a temptation that happened in that early church. And that was that there were personalities that were gifted communicators. There were people who were gifted evangelists. There were people who were well-known teachers. And what happened was that they confused the message of the gospel with the messengers that were giving it. And, and often it led to a disunity that, that, all, that caused great disruption within the church. In other words, what it did was it diminished the power of the gospel in the local church. Because people would say that I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos. What Christ has asked for us, or what God's provided for us is the ability for us to be of Christ. And so by blindly following someone, anyone, it doesn't matter how great of a leader they are, how great of a speaker they are, by, by blindly following someone other than Christ, it can be very dangerous. You know, following Christ is designed to unify us together. But some of these divisions that we see are painfully unnecessary. Now, you and I live in a modern world where we have technology and we can surround ourselves with the people who agree with us, right? 
We can surround ourselves with the kind of teachers that we want to listen to. And this isn't just preaching. This could be where we get our news, how we gather information, whose opinions we digest, how, how we see life through the lens of others. And if it's anyone other than Christ, we put ourselves at risk of missing out on the unity that he's provided for us. This is what happened in the church. The people that he mentions by name, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, these individuals were blessed leaders that God was using. This is a really positive thing. But you know what he tells us is at risk is the true authority and power of the gospel. I want to share with you a tragic story. There's a part of my history, um, one that I'm kind of embarrassed by, but, but is, I think it's very important for us as we strive to understand this. Is when I was in Southern California, I was doing some, uh, with the youth ministry that I had the privilege of leading, we were doing some homeless ministry in a community, and I ended up meeting this man who was living on the streets of Redlands, the community that we lived in, and he shared on the first time that I met him that he had been diagnosed with cancer and that he wasn't expected to live more than about two weeks and, and as we got to know each other, I kept going back to meet him. And, uh, and, and what ended up happening is that I just started to see that this man was a very gifted man. Um, this man, we got him into some, some medical treatment care. And, uh, and as, as he shared his story, one of the things that we recognized is that we hoped that he didn't have to suffer on the streets. And so we arranged for a family in our church that was actually a hospice nurse uh, for him to live in their home as he lived out his last days. And when he was healthy enough and well enough, he would um, join me in opportunities to share the gospel. In fact, I had a time where I was preaching at our larger church there in Southern California, and I brought him up on stage with me, and he shared his testimony beautifully. In fact, we had, uh, as he shared the gospel, we had people who accepted Christ in a really special way. In fact, I, uh, the, the, the uh, CDs or DVDs that we had afterwards, I think a lot of people passed them out and they spread around. I had other pastors call me and ask if he could come speak at their churches. And I think they fast forwarded my parts, to be honest, and, and got to his, his testimony that he shared. And um, well, long and short of it is that after I'd driven him around to his, where he grew up and just actually just found out that it was all a fraud, that, that his story was, was made up, that he was so discouraged about who he really was that he, he created this persona for himself. And, and it was devastating for me. I had vouched for him. I had stood up. And, but, but I want you to understand something that's really important in this, is that in that process, one of the things that he did was that he articulated the gospel from the perspective of God's word. And so when people came to Christ through that, they did come up to me. You know they did. They came up to me and they said, does it count? And they, they said, did this, did this person's... And, and I talked with them about, well, what was the message that you received? And when we talked about it, what we realized is they didn't receive that person, Right. They actually received the message of the gospel that changes lives. Today, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about baptism in a similar way, where he's going to say, you know, I baptize some people, and, and some people are making way too big of a deal about baptism, confusing the fact that baptism's all about following what Jesus Christ did and uh, understanding what Christ did on behalf of us so that we 
we recognize publicly a testimony of our faith that represents the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, Paul says, I wish I didn't baptize as many of you as I did because there are people who are paying attention to who did what and which spiritual leader did this and who was the testifier of this. And, and what ends up happening is there's a confusion between the messenger and the message, right? And you know what's great? I'll tell you the rest of the story is actually as tragic of a story as that was. What's really neat about that man is that very family that he was living with. I checked up on him recently, he's still living. But that family that he was living with ended up giving him grace. They worked through the process. He became honest about who he was. And the message of the gospel is continuing to live out in his life through this process of restoration. And praise the Lord, God's grace is sufficient, Right? And so, so we look back on this, and I just want to tell you, we know this about our history as a church family, that, that there's, there's messengers that have been imperfect. I'm the chief of those. I promise you that. There's people who have asked questions about past leaders. They baptized me. Does it count? Well, what were you baptized into? Were you baptized into the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Then whoever did it, it doesn't matter. And by the way, those of you who are like, I got to go to the Jordan and get baptized. It doesn't matter, okay? It counts, right? That, that the gospel is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the messenger is simply that, just the messenger. And so when we see the apostle Paul say this truth that's found in 1 Corinthians 1 chapter 11, it's super encouraging to me, especially as a person who strives to represent the love of Christ well to a community that's around us that desperately needs it, that is aware of his own weaknesses and struggles as it comes to represent the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, for it has been reported to me by Chloe. I, I don't know who Chloe was, but she gets like permission or she gets credit for being the tattletale here. Hey, hey, it got back to me that some of you, remember Paul had lived there with these people. He knew them for 18 months. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. You know, this, this Paul is the messenger who helped to write this book or recorded the book of 1 Corinthians. And you remember last week when we talked about the New Testament that Paul himself testified to be the chief of all sinners. He recognized his fallibility and his broken vessel reality of being a tool used by the Lord. This man, Apollos, was known for his special gifting as a communicator and as a person who understood how to articulate truth well. He was one that was delightful to listen to. I, I appreciate the, the Cephas reference here. It's probably a reference to the apostle Peter, maybe to him and his wife, as they are the rock that the Lord would build his church upon. And, and so basically what the, these people are saying is, I love my teacher. I love my messenger. I've found the messenger. And you know, we have that reality today, right? God's messengers come in every shape and size, don't they? And some of you, especially with technology today, we can say, I am of Chan or Tozer or Spurgeon or Stanley or MacArthur or Jeremiah or Begg or, you guys get it, right? That, that we can surround ourselves with messengers. That's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a gift from the Lord that we have wonderful individuals that express the truth of God's word well. He's not diminishing the ministry of Apollos, his own ministry, or of Cephas. But what he's saying is you can't confuse the message with the messenger. That you have to recognize that 
that individuals that are standing as under shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ are really truly given the privilege of just honoring and uplifting the name of Christ. He is the one that's telling us how to row. He is the one that gives us the message of hope. Do you remember in Matthew 13? I think this is is, is, uh, powerful. In Matthew 13, it doesn't focus in on, remember that's the parable of the sower and the soils. It doesn't focus in on the method that the message is expressed, but it focuses in on how the message is received. And I think we get confused about that when it comes to sharing the gospel, that we're like, I'm no Paul. I am no, no evangelist. Even what Paul said to Timothy was he said to him, do the work of an evangelist. And basically what he's saying is the power's in the gospel. You're just a conduit, a gutter for grace. <laughs> is that okay to say? I'm a gutter for grace. I, I, I am a conduit of his truth as we pass it on. So Paul puts his leaders and God's leaders in perspective. And we accept this morning that by confusing the message with the messenger, God's blessings can be lost. They lost unity, the unity that God had designed for their church. Paul says this in verse 14. He's pretty transparent. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. But, and then he kind of has his brain fog moment. Oh yeah, and I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. We know that story from the book of Acts. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize anyone else. In other words, he's saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the messenger was that presented the gospel. It doesn't make you more spiritual. You're not of the party of that speaker, that leader, that teacher. But instead, his desire for us is to be of Christ. That's his focus. I'm thankful that I didn't do any of those. For Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Do you see what he's saying there? It's all about the gospel. It's, it's powerful in and of itself, regardless of who the messenger is. And in fact, we recognize that God's messengers come in all different packages, all different shapes and sizes and experiences and, and testimonies of, of their own life experience. But by allowing ourselves to rest in the message, not the messenger, we do not do, Paul, Paul says what he's afraid of is something that's impossible to happen, to empty the cross of its power. He, he understands the fact that what they're doing, what we're doing as the church when we do that is we're really rendering the church ineffective for the unity that he's called for us to have. We're, we're like the, the prodigal son that God has given us a seat at the banquet of unity. And he said for us through Christ, through his message, you can be unified. You can row together. You can experience life together in its fullness. But by taking out the message of Christ and instilling the message of individuals, what can happen is it attempts to even empty the gospel of its simple truth and authority in our lives, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know, I think at the core of much of this is our pride. That, that it's possible. Do you, guys, do you guys, I love it, it's Father's Day. Anybody on the elementary school playground say, my dad could totally beat up your dad? No? You guys, I, I totally said that at Titus Elementary School. My dad could take your dad, you know? I, I think we, we can do this with our our teachers, our, the people who we claim that, you know, he's smarter than, she's smart, she's, she's better, she knows that she can do this. You guys understand that what that has the potential of doing 
is it has the potential of stealing away the, the gift that the Lord's given us of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has the potential of stealing away the kind of unity that he's intended for us to have. And I can summarize this series as we're heading into it, is that God has more for us as a church family. He has more work for us to be done. This is not about us surviving or making it through a pandemic or, or how big our property is or how nice things look. Or God has a mission for us and he's asked us to be representatives of the unity of his gospel and allow it to be a lighthouse for those who desperately need it. That's a privilege. But if we focus too much on the messengers, we can ignore the beautiful unity that he's provided us through understanding that it's really all about Christ, right? It's about his message. It's about what he wants to do in and through us. So that is our privilege. So, so what, the story of my homeless pastor and his tragic deception does not have to be the rest of the story, but instead what's beautiful about it is that God's gospel still communicated through this imperfect vessel. Do I, do I recommend it that way? No, I don't. Does it, did it make me sad for him and for the reputation of Christ. Yeah, it was devastating for the reputation of Christ in the community. But I celebrate today the fact that, that today there's continuing to be an ongoing presence of the gospel, even in this individual's struggle. So when others fail us, let's just be transparent this morning. When others fail us, it can feel like God has failed us. I know some of you in this room wrestle with that today. When others fail us, we can feel like God has failed. It's even more complicated when we call him our heavenly father, when we describe him in that way. But I'll just remind you, church, this morning that the power of redemption comes from the work of redemption, not the messenger who delivers it. Amen? That the power of redemption comes from the work of redemption. The Christ is sufficient. In your notes, you can jot down 1 John 2.26 that talks about his teaching, that it's it's sufficient for everything that we need to understand the truth of the gospel. So in Corinth, what we're going to see as we study this book together is their, their bad behavior is going to come right out of their bad theology. And one of the, the theology, the beliefs that they have about God that is unhelpful is that they understood it more about through, being through the messenger than understanding their God-given gift of Christ. So, so church, you have been given by the God that loves you, who invented you, who created you on purpose for a purpose, the tools that you need to be successful in the world that's around us. And by the way, the world does not have to agree with us. In fact, the world probably is not going to agree with us. And what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians is we're going to see that the culture that's around them did not agree with the values of Christianity. But what they had to do was to distinguish themselves from that and allow him to be the one that says, here's how we row through life together. We're going to take his message. And, and as we go through this, not always seeing where we're headed, what we do is we trust the one who's setting the course for us. And if we do that, I think we can experience the kind of unity that he has designed for us to have. So if in your life you are giving other voices other than Christ, a bigger audience in your life, you need to stop it. It's actually hindering your ability to grow in your walk with the Lord. If all of the truth that you're receiving from God is filtered through other people, I think you're missing out on the blessing that he has for you. And so what the Apostle Paul challenges 
This church that he loves and what I challenge you, a church that I love, he says to them, understand what it means to have a Christ that knows you perfectly, that has a plan for you and that has a message for you, a message of unity that flows through our understanding of the hope of the gospel. Isn't that great news? Isn't that encouraging to, to recognize? And so I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer as we close out this service singing a, a song that is powerful, that describes what it means for us to be people who put God in the right place in our life. Lord, we love you and we need you. We thank you for your truth. We ask that, that Lord, you would teach us to be people who live in a world that doesn't understand you, and yet you've given us the privilege to represent your loving kindness to a world that desperately needs it. Lord, teach us what it means to experience your unity that you've provided for us, that you've given us more. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.